What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. We've spent the summer journeying through the story of Moses. Finally, today we turn away from Moses and start looking at the transition from summer to fall. Although technically, we still have a few more weeks of summer. Most people tend to mark the fall with the start of the new school year. And for us around here, that happens right after Labor Day weekend. Uh, As we prepare for this new year, we're going to take a look at some of the work we've done in the last year. Uh, We work hard behind the scenes to have great music and compelling sermons. Uh, You know, these ideas and and graphics and the bulletins, they don't just show up. Uh, Several people from staff to volunteers are involved every week so you can hear and sense God's presence in worship. Uh, As we get started, we're going to hear from Ralph, uh, who will be taking over as our lay leader in the near future. Uh, He's going to read from the book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul. This letter is written to encourage this small church in a city that has a lot of spiritual, mystical practices. Last week, I encouraged folks to be spiritually minded. I'd like to think that the Apostle Paul would agree with me. But right before this reading, he says, don't let people fool you with philosophy or condemn you about celebrating holidays, he says, these are only a shadow of what is to come. This world belongs to Christ. So maybe this reading is the counterpoint to last week. Yes, be spiritual, but make sure it leads to the right kind of life. Here he describes that life. Let's listen to the Apostle Paul from Colossians 3, uh, 12 through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, reach and admonish each other in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty to the Lord. Fathers, Do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters, 
since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. And from Matthew 6.26, we hear the words of Jesus. Look at the birds in the, of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we listen for God to speak to us, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and lives as we seek to do your will in this world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, many of you know that we have a podcast of our time here together. If you don't know what a podcast is, uh, just think of it as radio through the internet that you can listen to whenever you want. Our channel started with 14 listeners, and then it grew to a few hundred. But in August of last year, we had what could be described as our first viral podcast. Uh, we went from a few hundred to a few thousand listeners. Uh, it was during our summer series called All About Love, and it was on a really challenging subject. It was titled, The Toughest People to Love. The title came from a book of the same name that talked about people who have disorders like narcissism or obsessive compulsions. There were folks who had addictions to drugs or self-mutilation. But the third category is a surprising one in this book. Some of the toughest people to love don't have disorders or addictions. They are called in the book simply, The Fool. It's like the grandmother, Judy, who was asked to watch over her grandchildren overnight. The parents told her that their daughter had celiac disease and required a very specific diet. Well, grandmom didn't care. She cooked the children fish sticks, and when the daughter got sick, the parents came and picked her up and took her to the hospital where she had to stay overnight. When they confronted the grandmother, Judy said, when you were young and you ate everything, I don't believe all this nonsense about allergies. That, my friends, is a fool. But the question remains, how do you love someone who is so brazen, so set in what they want to do so they will destroy people and relationships all along the way? Well, it's not easy, but in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. Now, we usually think of that as, I won't judge someone else so they won't judge me. But really what, what's being said here is, don't judge others so that God will not judge you. The singular response God calls us to is the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Love someone the way you wish they would love and care for you. We ended with a story about a, a famous preacher at a conference. He was greeted afterward by a couple, and the man said he was his favorite preacher. Night after night, the preacher noticed this couple and saw how the man kept falling asleep during his sermons, just five or ten minutes into it. He was so irritated by this because the man had so clearly lied about him being his favorite preacher. Why would he do that? And then the wife spoke to him uh, in a, uh, later in the week, 
and came to him. He expected her to reveal something about the problems in the marriage between the two of them. But instead, she said how her husband had cancer and was on powerful medications, but he was so grateful to finally see his favorite preacher in person, despite the medication that caused him to sleep. Well, the preacher knew he was in the wrong. He had judged when he should have loved. Like Jesus on the cross, our response is not, you should have done what I told you to do. Our response is, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them seven times 70. Keep loving, keep forgiving, keep it what you know is right, reserving your judgment, even as others can be so tough to love. It's what Jesus would do, and it's how we need to treat one another as well. I can see how that would be a popular message. We all face challenges, and we are all in need of grace when we hurt others. Love invites us to be persistent in caring for others, even when things are tough. You know, throughout the year, we've also had a number of guest preachers. We had the Reverend Vicki Miller-Brendler here a couple weeks ago, and our former pastor David Wiley uh, right here after Easter. We've also been raising up people from within our congregation to preach. Eric Marshall has given a couple of sermons. He is entering a chaplaincy program this week and will share with us some of what he's discovering there at some point in the future. We also have Dr. Paul Semendinger, who just retired from his work as a principal at an elementary school. Uh, I understand he retired so that he could pursue his true love, which is to play professional baseball. I'm sure the Yankee recruitment department is right around the corner for him. Uh, he loves the chance to preach here, but his men's baseball team plays on Sunday mornings in the summer. So he preached a unique sermon for us in the fall. It was on Halloween and connected to trick-or-treating. He related how we can all get too old for trick-or-treating. As we get older, we might pull away from the church, too, and we think we are too big even for God. Yet, if we are honest with ourselves and dig down deep, we will see that everything comes from God. The best, most genuine things in life flow from God. So why not pursue God like we pursue candy on Halloween, running from house to house? Paul shared how when you go around collecting candy, you, you quickly head home and dump out that hall. You look it all over and count your blessings. And then you go back to the bag at, at one last time and you find one more candy bar, one more blessing, and it can feel like the greatest find of all. That's like the kingdom of God. That's how God, God's love works and feels in us. There's no tricks from God, though, just treats. And at the women's retreat last year, there was a, a phrase that came up that helps us connect these blessings from God in our day-to-day -day lives. It was, God down all paths, everywhere we go. When we pause to appreciate and notice God at work, we'll grow in grace and love as God loves. All of our guest preachers have been a blessing and helped us experience a little more fully the love of God, especially in their uniqueness. There is no one right way to preach, though. The only goal is that at the end, people know God's love for them, and these gifted preachers have certainly helped us experience that. 
Uh, there's one more podcast I want to share with you today. It had the most people listening through the whole year with just shy of 5,000 people hearing it. It was just before Easter during our series on the Apostle Simon Peter called Hitting Rock Bottom. We looked at Jesus's cryptic question to Simon Peter asking, who do you say I am? Peter unpacks uh, or Peter answers with something that's a bit of a bombshell, so we had to unpack that answer from Simon Peter. I'd shared some of my most memorable moments with nature from the snow-covered Mont Blanc in the middle of summer to the Grand Canyon of the East with over 50 different waterfalls all around. I could go on and on, but the point is that nature can capture us in a way that nothing else can. Nature is not only memorable, it has some amazing benefits for us as well. It's called eco-psychology, and just being in nature for two hours a week can help you lose weight, improve your memory, and even feel better. It doesn't have to be a grand, majestic sight either. Just in the woods, hiking, or on a park bench each week can move you in the right direction. I suspect that Jesus knew this because when he asked Simon Peter this all-important question, who do you say I am, he asked it in one of the most beautiful natural spots in all the world. Rome had built a palace at the base of this beautiful waterfall, and in this idyllic setting, Jesus is asking, who do people say Jesus, the human being, really is? Everyone says he's a prophet, maybe like John or Jeremiah or Elijah. But Peter, in all his brashness, says, you, Jesus, are the Messiah. He's saying Jesus is not just a human like those other prophets. Jesus is Lord over all things. Now, we usually like the idea of Jesus being Lord because when we follow Jesus, we are sure that it's going to benefit us. Jesus as Messiah means God is bigger and stronger than my problems. It means my cancer will be cured with a miracle. It means my money problems will be fixed by a divine gift. And when somebody is really bothering us, we just pray that the Lord will take their breath away. And when we're at our most cynical, we pray that the Lord will keep their breath away permanently. Uh, usually, though, the connection we make is that Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, means God fights for me and against my enemies. We think, I can't hit rock bottom because I got Jesus on my side. Right after Peter tells Jesus he's the Messiah, Jesus says, you're right, Peter, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We hear Jesus saying, good for us, we are on the winning team, no problems here. But the truth is, Jesus calls us to a life that can really be filled with difficulty. In fact, Jesus doesn't say he is going to win by defeating our enemies or dropping money from the sky or by a miraculous healing. No, victory comes through sacrifice, through the death of Jesus. That's why right after this revelation in this beautiful natural setting, Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Winning is not about getting what we want. 
It's about sacrificing for others. I shared a story about a man who had someone come into his office. The man who entered was irate, screaming at the first man. He told him how wrong he was, how evil and awful he was. So the first man excused himself and went to the bathroom. When he came back, he said, Though I do not think the things you said are true of me, you are angry with me. So I think it is only right that I ask for your forgiveness and that I serve serve you. He had a towel and basin with him, and he proceeded with the ancient Christian practice of washing another person's feet. He served the angry man, and in that very act, the other man realized how wrong he was, how his yelling and screaming was sinful. Victory came not through the brute force of the power of God. It came through humility, through service and sacrifice. That is often how God works, not by demanding something of us, but by an invitation born out of love for the world. And today, as we celebrate Labor Day and the work that so many of us put in, not just for profit, but to make this world a better place, we remember the words of the Apostle Paul from Colossians 3. Be clothed with compassion, kindness, and humility. Forgive and love others. Be wise as you help each other follow Christ. Usually, we can get behind those ideas pretty easily, but what about the other parts we read today? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Some of that might sound pretty backwards to us today. But if you read carefully, you can catch what Paul is saying. Wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. We are commanded to love them. He isn't telling men they are superior to women. He's saying they have to live in mutuality, working together, partners in this marriage. Next, children are told to obey their parents, but what does he say after that? And fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Again, the things we do must be in regard to others, respecting them, caring for them, making sure everyone even children are getting what they need. And then finally, what's likely the toughest one for us to hear today, slaves obey your masters. Paul has said many times in other places, all people are equal before God. We know Paul disapproves of slavery as an institution. So why would he say slaves should follow their masters? He says, whatever your task, you don't do it for people you do the work as done to the Lord. He's telling the worker, do your work to please the Lord. And he is telling the owners, they don't work for you, they work for me. So you better not mistreat them. You better respect them just as you would any woman or child, just as you would any person who has the Spirit of God at work in them. Let's end with this. There was a man who had a tough job out in L.A. He worked hard every day, 70 hours a week, but things kept getting harder. He eventually struggled to sleep and, and took sleeping pills, but after a year of this, he was awake in the middle of the night and felt very distinctly like God was 
laughing at him. Why was he working so hard and God laughed at him? It took several years before he got his answer. When he was moving to a new home, he saved the heaviest piece of furniture for last, a giant old desk in the office. He pushed and pulled with everything he had, and then this four-year-old son walked into the room. He asked his dad if he could help, and his father agreed, and the two of them worked to slowly, slowly push this massive desk across the room. At one point, the son stopped pushing and looked at his dad and said, Dad, you're in my way. So the father graciously stepped aside and watched his tiny son push with all his might, and the desk did not budge. That's when he laughed and realized why he felt God had laughed at him all those years before. For so long, this man was trying to do everything in his own power, working as hard as he could, thinking that everything depended on him. Instead, in that moment, he realized that we are more like his four-year-old son than maybe we would like to admit. We are totally dependent on God. It's only as we live out the values of the Lord that we can see real movement God calls us to work as if it's for the Lord, everything, with respect and love in harmony with others. When our commitment is for the benefit of others, we are no longer working at odds with those around us, but for their mutual benefit. That's when we really see progress in our lives. Not when we work to best our enemies, but when everything we do, every step, every thought, and every deed is done for the Lord. May this Labor Day be one that reminds you that you work for the Lord, and ultimately, everything in our lives is dependent on God. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.